So start off by telling me, are you really fine? Welcome to the next episode of No Really, I'm Fine. I'm Michael Pearson and I'm joined with Gemma Sherlock. Um, I've not seen you for ages, you know, so actually, are you really fine today? <laughs> I am fine today. I'm feeling less stressed than I was last week. So um, it's it's a new week. It's a, a new Monday and the uh, sun is shining outside. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty okay at the moment. What was really stressful about last week? The podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Work, you know, a lot. Trying to balance a lot of things. And, and, and I know you've had a stressful time being here, there and everywhere, hence why I know, I've been me and Kate Ma- have not seen you for ages. I know, I've been in Madrid. Yeah. In, yeah, the, the fly- fancy flyers of uh, football yeah. journalism that I'm not in that yeah. ended up in Madrid. Wearing so, your many hats. Uh, yeah, I just haven't like physically, you know, in f- like traveling just really takes out on you. Like, yeah. me- like for me, because that's one of my big, that's one of my big anxieties, traveling. I hate it yeah. because I, I like to have control yeah a plan yeah in and, place. I, and i cannot control flights i cannot control trains so i just mm. hate it this friday i've got to go i've got to go to glasgow and um <laughs> there's three different trains and that is a massive anxiety for oh, me no. and just like i just want that to be over yeah and, and i'll think it in my head until it's over yeah but anyway, but the good thing is I've now actually realised that that is my anxiety. because That's good, because in before, a way. <laughs> you know, no, because before I would have just got really stressed about it and but yeah. I don't like travelling. Yeah. I actually didn't realise that actually it's my anxiety telling me, no, just yeah. stop. Because I love driving, like, because I can, I, I, I'm driving, control. I yeah. can drive myself. It's, yeah. it's, it's a bit like a metaphor, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Gemma, this week you speak to Fiona Thomas. She is an author and a mental health writer and she's really great, you said, because I've not listened to the episode yet. So <laughs> you tell me a bit more about her. Yeah, so I first came across Fiona on Twitter. You know, I found that she was posting a lot of positive stuff and when I was going through a bad place, that really helped. So I really wanted to get her on the podcast because I felt like she brought a different side to the sort of mental health, social media debate. Um, and then I I discovered she's written a book called Depression in a Digital Age, which is her own memoir, if you like, of when she suffered really badly with depression and anxiety and panic attacks, so much so that she had to leave her full-time job and really go at it on her own and and become a writer, which she wanted to do. Um, And, you know, she, in the episode, she talks about an interesting debate, whereas she has felt that social media has really helped her in terms of it's been a mental health community for her. So that's been a really positive step for her. Which but, is different, obviously, for what most people yeah, find on social media. Um, don't get me wrong, there is a mental health community on there. Um, I, I'm involved in one. Um, our co-host Kate's involved in one. So that is a really positive side to it. Um, but, you know, I've struggled with how... Um, it can make you feel like crap, um, you know, on Instagram and things like that. And, and there's a lot of toxic toxic people on, on the internet, unfortunately. Whereas Fiona really felt like she could become someone else. Um, she didn't have to, you know, face the world with with being afraid of her mental health. She could really sort of become someone else. And, and that, that was really interesting for me. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just a, a good, good old chat, really. Hi, 
everyone. Welcome to our episode of No Really, I'm Fine. And today in the studio, we have Fiona Thomas joining us. Hello, Fiona. You okay? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Now, for our listeners who don't know who Fiona Thomas is, let me tell you that she is the author of Depression in a Digital Age, which has been described as an honest reminder about how to control your online space and not let it control you. Something that I I really struggle with. Um, and you're also a freelance journalist, a mental health speaker, and you also have your own podcast, which we absolutely love, called Positive People. Yep, that's yeah, lots of lots of um, things ongoing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, like we do with every guest, Fiona, we we ask, we start off by asking whether they're really fine. So, let me start off by asking you today: Are you really fine? Oh gosh, I'm really anxious this week. Are you? Um, just got a, like I said to you off air. Got a lot on at work at the moment. So, and I find when I'm anxious. Um, I find it really hard to prioritise. So I've got a list of things to do and I'm finding it hard to really um, get through them. <laughs> so yeah. I'm a bit overwhelmed. It's like the list gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yes, but I'm getting there. So for those who haven't read the book, tell us a little bit, bit about it. So, um, yeah, it's called Depression in a Digital Age um, and it's a mental health memoir about my mental breakdown that I had in 2012 I was 26 at the time uh, and the the book kind of documents my the lead up into my mental illness diagnosis and then my recovery and how social media was a big component of my recovery uh, which is kind of goes contrary to what the media tells us Mm, mm. and basically it was kind of a force for good for me so I just wanted to just wanted to highlight that that is that is a potential outcome when you use social media that can actually have a really good impact on your mental health. That's interesting to hear, isn't it? Because often we find, well, I, often I have found that or read that social media can be quite negative, a negative thing for your mental health. Yeah, for me, it was just, um, you know, when people say that the, the person that you are online is fake and the person you are in real life that's the real you Mm. um for me I just for a long time it felt like the opposite I felt like I was pretending to be someone else in real life but then on Instagram and on Twitter and on my blog I could tell the truth about what was really going on because to me that was a safer environment to just kind of put my feelings out there as opposed to actually speak speak about them in real life because I just wasn't ready to do it and I know we encourage people to talk about mental illness but I think for a lot of us um in the early days you're in a stage where you can't really form a coherent sentence to describe how you feel Mm. and is is that because you felt like you could sort of hide behind a screen as well so when you say you felt safer is that what you mean in that environment it was a bit of that yeah and also just um being able to use writing as a way to uh, like a form of therapy and a way to kind of organize my thoughts because I'm not although I do public speaking now I'm not a naturally gifted speaker and I'm not that eloquent with words so I find it really hard to express what I mean like I can't have an argument with someone because I just shrivel up and just go (laughs) oh I don't know what to say and but when I when I get pen and paper or I get to open a blog post or write something I just feel like I can explain myself so much more succinctly and I can explore how I feel um so that was the main thing for me was just having this kind of blank page where I could work out what was going on um and a lot of the time I would start writing a blog post 
about something and by the time I got to the end I was on a completely different topic but I'd figured out what what the real problem was I could figure out what was actually you know unpick what was actually going on in my mind Mm. and depression in a digital age it's your first book isn't it so what what was that like for you writing your first book um it was a little bit hard at times there's a couple of chapters that I found kind of difficult to write but I had been blogging at that point for quite a few years and I'd been writing about mental my own mental illness for at least a year so I felt like I was kind of ready to write it like I was already comfortable talking about those kind of things and actually it was just good to have you know blog posts are generally like a thousand words so it was good to have free reign to just really really go into depth about what I wanted to talk about um so I suppose in in that respect it was quite self-indulgent um and it was quite um cathartic for me to get it all out and say actually this horrible thing happened but now look look what's happened and I've managed to make at least this out of it like I've made a book and that this good things come out of this um this kind of terrible thing so almost like a form of therapy for you in a way oh absolutely yeah yeah it was um yeah it was great to get it out and put it put it on the page Mm. so as you mentioned before one of the reasons why you wrote the book was the fact that you were diagnosed with depression in, in 2012 do you want to explain the lead up to that you know what what were the symptoms that you were having prior prior to that diagnosis so looking back now, obviously with hindsight, it's easy to look back and kind mm. of figure out what was going on. Um, but I had graduated when I was 21, graduated from uni and did a degree in music, but didn't want to work in music. I just halfway through the, career, the degree just realised it wasn't for me. So I kind of did that thing that most graduates do and just completely panicked, picked up the first um, job that I found, which was a promotion um, working in the coffee shop that I was already working in so I was went into catering management and I did that for five years um, and just just really dug my heels in to try and make that career work for me when actually looking back now it just wasn't the right thing for me it just wasn't suited to my personality I'm not good at being a manager I'm not good at working with um, the public it was just triggering lots of lots of anxiety in me um, and it was making it basically led to a bad, bad case of burnout. Mm. Um, and I, at that time, obviously now burnout has just come out in the news. It's like been diagnosed, well, it's been um, classified now as a syndrome. So it's like recognised mm. by um, medical professionals, which is great. But back then it just wasn't, wasn't spoken about. So I didn't realise that I was going through this really intense period of burnout, which was going on for about a year so I was absolutely frazzled but I just thought that I was a failure and I just thought that I was not good at being an adult I just thought oh this is what adult life is like and I just can't deal with it um mm. can't deal with working long hours and having to look after a house and still socialize and take care of yourself and um, I just thought I was rubbish at being an adult um and because that went undiagnosed for so long it just got to a point where I couldn't couldn't really function so um in the book uh I talk about at the very beginning um basically I'm hiding in a toilet at work which I think is pretty common for people who work in an office yeah well, um, when, I, when I read that I just uh, it really it was really upsetting but I just thought of the um have you seen Mean Girls 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just felt, oh, it was just, um, I've done that before. I feel like we've all done it, haven't we? But anyway, go on, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the kind of, I was doing that more and more often, repeatedly going into the, the bathroom just to be alone and just to cry and just mm. to kind of let out my aggression because you're obviously not, you know, generally not encouraged to show emotion in the workplace. And because I was a manager, I just felt like, oh, I can't show emotion because it looks like I'm weak how am I supposed to lead a team if I can't control my emotions um and that just kind of got out of hand to the to the point where um when I went into work one day I, I just looked at my to-do list and I thought I just can't I can't do this I can't I don't really know how to how to execute this list which was the same as every other day it was nothing out of the ordinary but my brain just wouldn't there just wasn't that spark there to actually get anything done um so at that point um made an appointment with the doctor because I just thought I was honestly just thought I was really tired mm. um but they diagnosed me with first of all stress and then after a week things things got much worse and then yeah they were, I got diagnosed with depression and I've just been living with it ever since um and yeah trying to trying to get by <laughs> yeah yeah and and you mentioned before as well, back when you, you were working in the coffee shop, you, you said you were a manager and you were worried, you know, to show show your emotional work because mm-hmm. there's that sense of, of being weak. Do you think that still happens in the workplace now? I mean, I like to think that it's getting a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think for me, lots of workplaces are putting places, um, sorry, putting um, measures in place to deal with mental illness and when people are mentally unwell um and mental health first aid is becoming more common but actually that that that's all dealing with kind of crisis point and when things have gotten to the point where they need real medical help whereas like you say if we could express our emotions just day to day maybe we wouldn't actually get to that point maybe we would be allowed you know or we'd feel better about taking a day off or a couple of days off, you know, a mental health day as opposed to just powering through and pretending you're okay. Maybe it would help if you and your team all understood that you have life outside of work and that we can't always be 100% all the time and that, you know, cut someone some slack if they're going through something in their personal life. Mm. I feel like if we all understood that, you know, productivity levels and, um, kind of energy levels and emotions go up and down all all the time and not expect people to be machines be robots um like life would just be so much easier for everyone mm. and and you mentioned as well um in your book no work for you means no income because you're a freelance journalist mm. so how do you cope with that and the fact that you also talk about the you know you you can't have a mental health day because of of that that statement before no work for you means no income so how how do you deal with that mm. so a couple of things so I take try and take working holidays so next week I'm going up to Scotland to see family and my mum and I are going to go um, and stay near the beach for a week oh, nice. so it'll be a change of scenery but I'll still be working but I'll just be not working quite so much um, yeah. which I, I find is um seems to work for me so kind of just work a couple, you know half a day um every day instead of a full day and I find that helps me um just helps me recharge and I feel like doing that 
maybe two or three times a year as opposed to, you know, just one two-week holiday where you completely switch off. Yeah. Um, that seems to work for me at the moment. Um, and then later on in the year, I am taking a full week's holiday. So it's really just about actually planning ahead and not, you know, don't wait till you get to the point where you feel like, oh my goodness, I need a week off. This is This is really bad. Whereas if you plan a week off, you know, six months in advance, it gives you the time to save up the budget so that you can take it um, and, you know, don't take it on any work that week. So I feel like it's, it's the whole prevention is better than cure, isn't it? So mm, yeah. planning ahead to take, you know, prioritise holidays so that hopefully um, the sick days are less frequent. Um, but also it is just about, yeah, accepting that a, a day off now is helpful if you're not feeling a hundred percent um and it will help you hopefully not be completely burnt out in a couple of weeks and and also it's linked to money as well like um so for me it's making sure that I actually charge enough um and making sure that I'm not having to take on so many clients that I'm working overtime so yeah and that can, for me that's linked a lot to self-esteem as well so it's finding the confidence to know that you're worth a certain amount of money and understand that's linked to you being able to kind of live a balanced lifestyle. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear because for me, sometimes, especially in our field of work, you can often take on so many stories because you want to, because you want to boost your self-esteem that you can be at risk of burning out, like you say. Yeah, it's, um, it's tricky, especially when you do a job that you love. Mm, mm. Um, and you really want to do well so I had a period of quite bad depression um, a couple of months ago and it lasted about did last about a month which feels like forever when you're yeah. when you're trying to get things done um, but then other I, I could go maybe three or four months where I'm really really productive and I'm working long days but I'm absolutely loving the work that I'm doing and I'm feeling really productive and I just absolutely love you know, jump out of bed every morning excited to work. So I think it's just accepting, like you say, that your productivity levels um like your mood. They just they just aren't you know, we we aren't productive from nine o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night. So it's just accepting that you'll you'll have periods where you're really, really feeling great and periods when you don't and just accepting that and kind of leaning into the times where you do have energy and you know accept it so it's actually okay if I want to work an extra couple of hours today Mm. um and you know it'll even out over time yeah yeah and going back to when you were diagnosed in 2012 how did you react when you when you found out you had depression how did you feel I was really 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 shocked um like I didn't and I felt like I had the symptoms of depression but I still felt like it wasn't me Mm. um even though I've got a history of mental illness and depression in my family, I just didn't think that it was going to be me. Um, and I, up until that point, found it really hard to understand, get in the headspace of family members who, did, who do have depression. Like, I just thought, why can you not just take steps to get better? Mm. Um, so it felt really alien to me. Um, but then at the same time, it felt it felt really good to have a reason behind all the symptoms that I was having and to have someone from the outside you know a medical professional tell me um the way you feel isn't uh isn't healthy and it's not 
you not that it's not normal but it's you can't function like this so you do need time off so for me having a medical professional actually write a sick note for me was just such a felt so um like a validation of me not going mad that, yeah like that a relief really, I, <laughs> yeah just like okay I am unwell I can ask for help I can rest and I don't have to go into work and pretend to be okay anymore yeah was it very emotional for you because I remember when I went into the doctor and they first told me I was just I was just so emotional because for months I was just thinking I was a freak and you mm. do you think what's going on am I am I, am I losing my mind or I mean mm, I don't know if it, you you had that experience but it was very much an emotional one for me I think um, it's weird because the doctor didn't say you have depression. I think she just said, we'll try you on some antidepressants. So it was that kind of like easing you into the situation. Yeah. Um, and then when I got the, the sick note, I saw on the sick note that said depression. And I remember phoning my mum and say, because we really struggled to talk about mental health. Um, mm. And I, I didn't, I couldn't say I've got depression. I just said, the doctor says that she thinks I've got depression so it was like putting it on to someone else yeah. like I couldn't couldn't own that that was me at all um and yeah it was definitely like I don't think I thought I was going mad I just thought oh this what what is this now like what, yeah. what is this I have to deal with like so I think a bit in shock and a bit numb to what was going on and how did you feel about going on antidepressants I, I was happy to do so um I've never I know um, it is like a really like polarising topic, but it's just um, nothing I've ever questioned. And I think because I was feeling so, so bad, I just wanted to do anything to help. Mm. Um, and I was quite happy to try them. And it took me about three different types before I found one that really worked for me. It took me about six months before I found one that, that I thought, yeah, this is this is helping. And it had... Um, the third one that I tried, the successful one, had quite a lot of side effects. But even then, the the side effects were 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 fine compared to the the boost that it kind of gave me mentally. So I was happy to kind of ride it out and just and just stick with it. Oh, good, good. Because sometimes the side effects, when you read on the label, says depression <laughs> can cause yeah. depression. It's just like, yeah, what? it's so strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um. So you've obviously lived with this for a couple, of, a few years now. Sorry. Um, what are your triggers? Do you think you know them better now, or are you still discovering what your triggers are to depression and anxiety? Mm, yeah, it's it's difficult. I wouldn't say I've got like one major. Well, I've got. I suppose that the biggest thing for me is stress. So any kind of stress in life will make me anxious and make me. Um, I guess like once I have a, a period of anxiety, then that kind of leads to depression. For me, depression and anxiety kind of feed off each other. <clears throat> so I can be um, really depressed for quite a while and then start to get anxious about trying to feel better mm. um, and get anxious about going out because I've been uh, because I've isolated myself because I've not been feeling well. Um, and the same with anxiety. If I'm really an anxious for, like say I'm doing a lot of public speaking over a couple of weeks, that will make me really anxious and then I'll completely crash and then my mood will dip after that. Um, so so stress is a major one for me um mm. 
which is like covers obviously a broad range of activities. So like recently we moved house, so that was quite stressful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, even things like actually going to the doctor, I find that really stressful. Um, like the, the I hate um, having to make a phone call, make an appointment because generally you can't get an appointment, and mm. then you feel like, oh, am I wasting people's time? Why am I even doing this? Um, and yeah, um, work work is a is a big trigger for me as well. So, but more so in the other jobs that I used to do. So being customer facing, um, and pretending for me, pretending to be okay is quite a big trigger as well. Um, right, yeah. So being around people that maybe I don't know, or being around people that I know um, can't don't really respond well to mental health talk. So I'll have to pretend to be okay around them, um, and then I find that really, um, really draining. It's exhausting, um, isn't it? Yeah, because you're mm. putting on a mask, aren't you, all the time? And um, yeah. yeah, I found that especially in work. Um, and then when you come home, it, it it's even worse because you're finally able to relax. But then it's because you've been holding it in all day. You're just like, oh, and I don't know if, if you've experienced that. Like, you know, when yeah. you, just, you just come home, and you just it's just like one ball, ball of like tears or something yeah. after that, such a long day of holding it in. Yeah. And that's why I made the transition from, from um, working in customer service to freelance because it just like I said, I was trying to make it work, and it just wasn't suited to my personality or um, my kind of health requirements. Because obviously, when you work in a shop, you have to be there when the shop is open. It's you know flexible working isn't really an option. You can't make up the time in the evening. <laughs> um, you have to be there when the shop is open, um, and you have to be respectful and friendly and impersonable and. Having to do that within a a set time every day just was so hard for me. Hmm. Um, and so I know that a lot of people, a lot of therapists will say if you're if you're feeling depressed or anxious, it can be really good to go to work and socialize and you know put on a bit of a fake smile, and then sometimes it will make you feel better. But for me, doing that repeatedly was just it was just like you say, just zapping me of the small amount of energy that, that I had left. Um, so that I wasn't recovering quickly it was actually de- delaying my recovery for even just having a blip you know just a bad day would turn into um, a bad week just because of having to put on this front whereas um, now that I work from home I can you know I can be sad it's okay I can be sad at home and still get get stuff done or take the day and make up for it in the evening yeah and there's not that pressure then to constantly yeah. smile or you know yeah. yeah and you can fake being personable in an email which is helpful yeah (laughs) yeah that's good let's not give too much away (laughs) so how has your family been you know with with your mental health and how has how has your husband been with you um, my husband, like I swear, I write in the book that he must have been like a trained counsellor in a past life because he just knows exactly what to say all the time and he's so understanding. Like he hasn't struggled with his mental health but he just seems to get what I'm going through and he's always really flexible and 
for me, the best thing to hear when I was feeling really, really bad was, and especially with anxiety, for someone to say, uh, well, we don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, um, which was really helpful for me. Like if I would always get really worked up if we were supposed to be going out or meeting someone or, or doing something or um, having a family dinner or going to a pub. Like it just always made me feel anxious. And he always gave me that get out clause of like, you don't have to do it. And that just was so so helpful because most people would say oh you'll be fine mm. just stop you're worrying about nothing you'll be fine just go um whereas have someone say actually how you feel is valid and you don't have to put yourself through this if you really don't want to that was one of the best things that that anybody could have said to me at that time because I think um being a manager and being like really career focused I was conditioned to say yes to everything and just to pretend to be really brave and pretend to be really confident and always meet your deadlines and never let anyone down and I kind of had filtered that through to every aspect of my life and just trying to people please everyone Mm. so being given the permission to do things at my own speed and on my own terms was really really helpful we all need a hobby like yours then I know it's the best (laughs) um and yeah my family have been super supportive they've always been there for me we're not particularly great about talking about feelings but I just think it's it is a generation thing Hmm. and hopefully um the younger you know generation are going to change that for everyone I feel like it's already they've already made such a difference good and in the book as well um you talk about this thing which is called mentally asleep Do you want to tell our listeners what that means? Because it's something I've experienced and I know you have, and I'm interested to find out whether this still happens to yourself. Mentally asleep? Yeah, where you talk about where you just zone out. Mm. I mean, I think that probably comes from the depression, Mm. um, where it's just, yeah, you just don't want to engage with anything and you just don't want to talk to anyone or yeah it's I've not really felt like that for a while but I definitely felt like that um when I was off work um when I'd just been diagnosed with depression um and I just for me it just made me feel really isolated and I didn't want to talk to anyone I didn't I couldn't I think it's kind of like a defense mechanism of there's so much going on in your mind and so many dark thoughts that you just decide to not deal with it and thinking about nothing is better than thinking about what's actually going on if that makes sense Mm, mm. so yeah I think it's um I think it's more common than you think and kind of linked to that you know smiling depression where people are smiling and you know they look like they're fine so they can't have depression whereas actually you don't have a clue what's going on underneath Mm. and you mentioned before um you know we all need to take a mental health day and we all need a break um, now and then do you think that's a problem with society because we're constantly doing we just as a society perhaps don't know how to to stop yeah it's just, it's just links back to that whole productivity thing doesn't it that mm. we, we all kind of measure our effectiveness as a human and our contri- contribution to society based on how productive we are and if we you know we go to work and we only get a quarter done of what we plan to do we just feel like um, that we've not contributed and that we don't have any self-worth so taking a mental health day is linked to that because you think well what right do I have to have time off you know especially when I think the the problem with 
taking a mental health day when you are mentally ill is that a lot of the symptoms of mental illness are linked to guilt. So, you know, you feel guilty about having a mental illness already. Um, and that is one of the main symptoms. And you just feel like you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve, like, when I was really depressed, I just felt like I didn't deserve self-care. So I didn't deserve a shower, didn't deserve to brush my hair, didn't deserve to wear nice clothes. Um, and yeah, you feel like you don't deserve a mental health day because you just feel so low and you've got such bad self-worth. Um, which is why, yeah, it would be good if we could kind of allow people to take personal days or, you know, just take a day. You don't need to label it as a mental health day, but just take a day for yourself mm. um, to remind yourself that you, it is okay to rest and it's okay to slow down. And rest is, especially sleep, is such such a great tool for mental health that I think a lot of a lot of us tend to overcomplicate our self-care routines and we're trying to book spa days and trying to have um, bubble baths and get to the gym and drink mm. smoothies is actually it can be something as simple as just make sure you go to bed at 10 o'clock yeah. for a couple of nights <laughs> you'll feel so much better I'm in bed by nine I'm knackered oh good for you <laughs> <laughs> what about you what time do you eventually oh, drift off after see, a it could day be like mid, yeah it could be midnight yeah and so last night I went to bed at 10 and I woke up feeling much much better this morning yeah um, so yeah sleep is such a and it's again it's like forget forgiveness forgive yourself for having a 12 hour sleep it's okay Um, we feel guilty about that as well so it's about giving yourself those basic basic needs um, that will help help you feel better and it can work the other way you feel guilty for lying in for too long oh absolutely like, no I've wasted the day <laughs> yeah but I've I've come to terms with sleep is such a big thing for me um and I know because my mum's the same. She needs a lot of sleep. Yeah. You still there? Anymore. Yeah. Oh, can you it, hear me? Yeah. Sorry, it broke up a bit then. Do you want to okay. just um, um, repeat that last bit? You said your mum still needs a lot of sleep. Yeah. So I know that my mum and my mum are very similar. She needs a lot of sleep. So I've just kind of accepted the fact that I'm not, I'm not a morning person. Like I can't get up really early and you know get work done before eight o'clock it's just not possible yeah um, so I tend to get up about nine uh, start work at ten uh, and at the weekends I'll always I'll have at least one day where I'll wake up without an alarm because that's just Bliss. the way my, my <laughs> brain works yeah yeah <laughs> um so going back to social media which I know you mentioned before is something that's really helped helped you mm. how can we then or how can yeah how can we turn our relationship with the digital world then into a happy experience because not everyone has a happy experience with the digital world and, and social media so what would your advice be on that I think it's just about um using it mindfully and thinking about it as a way to connect with people it's not a way to observe what other people do and you know watch other people do the things that you want to do or you know, criticise the way other people look or what they're up to, use it as a way to actually connect with people. So whether it's staying in touch with your mum on WhatsApp or, um, you know, sending a message to someone that you used to work with, going out for a coffee, making sure that it's real connections with people that you actually want to talk to as opposed to wasting your energy on some um, 
you know, reality star that's had their lips done and you're trying to figure out if they've had their eyebrows done or whatever. Yeah. You know, you know we all fall down those rabbit holes, but connect with real people online. Um, I think that's really important. And I, even people that I, like I say, people that I used to work with, um, you know, send them a message and say that they look really nice today or um, you know use try and put some positive energy into the way you use it and use it with purpose and um, I use Twitter a lot as well for business networking mm. so like I think that's how we first spoke was on yes. Twitter yeah and um, meet with you know find people that are in your area and that are doing stuff that you want to be involved with and you know if you've been speaking to some, someone for weeks and weeks online then you know try and collaborate in some way or share their stuff or read their book or yeah just connect with people in a more genuine way as opposed to just scrolling through and observing from the sidelines you know get involved yeah and I think that's a good point because I think we've sometimes forgot what social media was there for in the first place to make friends and to reach out to friends but it can be hard when you go on Twitter and you see so much on your Twitter feed it can be hard to like you say fall down that rabbit hole of course yeah and it's you know it's been said before but curate your feed and follow people that make you feel good and follow people that maybe challenge the way you think and that definitely helped me I've struggled a lot with body image so I tried to follow people who already feel really good about their body and and try to kind of drink in their energy really as opposed to following people who are promoting diet products because you kind of just absorb what you see yeah in in what way have you struggled with body image then, Fiona? So I uh, I've always been on a diet since I was a teenager, um, and then when I was diagnosed with depression, I started going to the gym to you know help boost my mood. Every every doctor will tell you if you're mentally unwell, make sure you try and exercise. Um, and I just got really really addicted to exercise, and then my body started to change, um, started to lose weight, started to kind of tone up. And then I got really addicted to dieting as well. Um, so when I was at my lowest mentally, I looked at my probably the best I've ever looked because mm. <laughs> um, I was really fit, um, really slim. Because I've always been about a size sixteen, so to get down to like a size ten was you know it wasn't like I was thick, thick, thin. No one was no one was worried about me. Um, but really mentally, it was it was all going down the pan still um so I had to kind of I guess reevaluate my relationship with exercise and with dieting and give all that up because it was just becoming to me it was kind of like a form of self-abuse like restricting food and um force myself well not force myself but always going to the gym you know seven days a week for like two hours at a time just being completely um feeling completely chained to this lifestyle that you know you've got this momentum up and if you stop then you might gain weight and then what will happen um so yeah it's quite complicated there for a while but instagram caused the problem but then instagram also solved the problem because i just changed the content that i was consuming yeah how did you get out of that cycle then how did you stop going less did you um so i it, probably intertwined with me getting back to work so the more that I was working I had less time to go to the gym Mm -hmm. and I was really tired um so um and I was more hungry because I was working so I couldn't really restrict my food anymore because I was 
I needed more energy to just go about my day and go to work. So kind of happened that way. And then as my I started to gain weight and my, my body shape started to change, that's when I started to think, okay, I need to kind of, I'm going to have to learn to accept this because I'm not going to be able to maintain um, the weight loss that I achieved because it just was unsustainable the way that I was doing it. So I had to really consciously um, start to stop stop counting calories, start exercising for enjoyment as opposed to um, for weight loss. Um, and loving your and body. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, trying and I think love loving your body is, is really, really hard. So I just try to accept it um the way it is, no matter what's going on. Um because generally if things if my body isn't looking the way I would like it to, it's normally just because I've got other stuff going on in my life. Um, mm. so gained a bit of weight when I was writing the book but then I, I had written the book so I was that was more important so I tried to think about you know things go up and down and your body will change but it's not necessarily that's not a representative of all the other great things that you've got going on in your life mm, exactly well said well said <laughs> indeed I wish I need to I need to think like that <laughs> and it's well that's the thing it's not um it's an ongoing thing you know I don't like just today I posted on Instagram about not feeling great about my body and mm. it is just kind of accepting that those feelings will come but then not using those feelings to then go and do unhealthy behaviours yeah it's 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 hard isn't it because I feel so guilty when I don't go like like today for instance I was going to go to the gym after after we've done this and I'm just so tired now but then I just feel guilty for not going and it's just you you, you can beat yourself up about it can't you yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Yeah. Okay, then. Um, I feel like we've we've discussed quite a lot, haven't we? We've got a lot yeah. in. <laughs> um, what I what really wanted to ask you is: there any sort of plans to write another book? I would love to write another book. Um, but there's nothing confirmed yet. So just focusing on yeah, promoting this book and yeah. the podcast. I'm absolutely loving doing the podcast. So. That's pretty fun. Yeah, can you can you let our listeners know where where they can find your podcast, what it's called, and what it's about? So it's called the Positive People Podcast, and it's me and my friend Amy Holland, who actually we met on Instagram, and that's one of the big things that I talk about in the book. Like I was saying about you know collaborating with people that you meet online, she's become a really good friend of mine, um, and she um, promotes mental health on her channels as well. So. Basically, the Positive People podcast is just a way for us to record all the amazing conversations that we have with people that we meet. So sometimes it's me and her having a conversation about maybe like burnout or exercise or um, being jealous of people online. And then we also have other guests on as well. Um, So yeah, it's just all talking about mental health and how we can kind of be our best selves and own our mental illness and accept that it's okay to be sad sometimes. Yeah. And your book, Depression in a Digital Age, is out now. And where can people get this fabulous book from? Yep. So you can get it on Amazon or you can get it on Trigger website, which is the publisher, or you can get it on Waterstones, W. Smith, all all good booksellers will get it to you. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Fiona. It's been lovely speaking to you. Your accent is just amazing. I could (laughs) listen to you talk all day. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We all have mental health and it's just as important as physical health. No, really, I'm fine. Shares real stories and experiences. 
but we aren't experts and this podcast is not an alternative to getting official medical advice. If your mental or emotional state quickly dips or you're worried about someone you know, help and support is out there. Talk to your GP or call the Samaritans on 0800 58 58 58. For advice on how to help a friend or loved one, visit rethink.org. Thanks for checking out the show. I hope you join us on the journey as we explore mental health. You can follow us on Twitter at I'm Fine Podcast underscore. I will have loads more information and some sneak peeks for future episodes. Mm-hmm.